0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics.
1: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams.
2: So by now you may know one of the things kind of out there a little bit when it comes to what's his name? Eric Ainge, the former Tennessee quarterback who goes on his radio show and has this big rant against Stetson Bennett. And honestly, you know, I know a lot of Georgia fans are talking about this. We're not going to talk about this very much here today, just from the standpoint of, I just don't think it rises to our level. I mean, Ainge put himself out there in a huge way prior to the Tennessee game, you know, making all these predictions. And it's pretty clear he had no idea what he's talking about. Then it was pretty obvious that he only said what he said as a way of getting attention for himself going into the game he got completely trampled over completely run over uh in that particular moment and so therefore if he had any glimmer of relevance well after the Tennessee game you would think all of that would have been kind of diminished forever you would at least think that well now he's back again and just given his track record we're not going to pay too much attention to all of this except to say that in you, when you look at the actual text of what Ainge, the former Vol, has said about Stetson Bennett ahead of the national championship game, I think it does sort of show you what a very small box the Stetson Bennett hater, and unfortunately there are some Stetson Bennett haters out there, the very small box that the Stetson Bennett hater has now put himself in prior to this national championship, because obviously one of the reasons that Georgia is there uh, on Monday night is because of what Bennett was able to do, late-game heroics against Ohio State. You know, it used to be that the Stetson Bennett hater was saying, ah, Bennett's no good, Bennett's this, Bennett's that. And the one response we've kind of always had about all of that is, okay, well, if you think that Stetson Bennett isn't any good, then prove it. You know, show me the case for Bennett not being very good. And over the course of the last couple of years, as Stetson Bennett being Georgia's starting quarterback, a lot of you are aware of this. The actual case to prove that Bennett isn't a good, quality, capable quarterback has never been very convincing because the numbers, whether you want to think about his all-time winning percentage as Georgia's starting quarterback, the actual stats that he's put up, including in a head-to-head matchup against C.J. Stroud uh, on Monday night, or I should say this past Saturday night, the head-to-head wins. He's also you know, gathered over guys like Hendon Hooker or guys like Bryce Young that you want to start digging deep here to to make the case against Bennett. Statistically, you just don't have much of a leg to stand on in terms of Bennett uh, and the uh, and the success that he's been able to have. You're talking about an MVP of the Peach Bowl, an MVP of the Orange Bowl, an MVP of the SEC Championship, an offensive MVP of the National Championship. That the overall case against Bennett is just not very convincing. I don't believe it's ever been convincing, and now it's essentially non-existent. So those like Eric Ainge, the uh, former Tennessee quarterback who hosts, I guess, some sort of radio show or something, those like Eric Ainge that want to say you know, things about Stetson Bennett, all of a sudden now, they don't have the case to be made against him, and so therefore their true colors just sort of really come out. The, 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 the reality of what they are just sort of really comes out. So I'm going to show this to you on the screen. This is from Ainge's radio show. I'm going to read, these words have been passed around, I guess. Uh, maybe the Sports Illustrated had him first, and then I Saturday Night South kind of quoted this. So this uh, quote has been, you know, passed around all over the place. So Ainge says, you know who I can't stand? Stetson Bennett. It says it was cute when he first got to play and played pretty good. I think he means pretty well. But nonetheless, now the whole, uh, I, I'm like a walk-on. I'm a Juco transfer. He's like 28-3 and 3 as a starter at Georgia or something like that. I'm cheering hard against him. I want Georgia not just to lose the game. I don't want them to, to to lose with Stetson Bennett throwing four touchdowns. I want Bennett to throw four picks and cost his team a championship. And then Eric Ainge goes on to say that he is such a punk. Now, listen, I love the back and forth stuff between SEC fans and other fans and You know, we even kind of get into that sometimes. Obviously, we play up the rivalries. We have a good time with all that kind of stuff. Uh, And I don't make any apologies for that. That's really what college football is all about. And the SEC, what makes it special is the way we do this back and forth. And there is an idea I kind of enjoy of, hey, if you're a real true hardcore Tennessee fan, then maybe you don't want Georgia to do well in the national championship. Or maybe Florida fans feel the same way. Or jealous Alabama fans, maybe they feel that sort of same way too. I don't have a problem with that. And we kind of play around with that kind of stuff too hopefully we don't ever call anybody a punk though I mean to me there's just sort of an honor among thieves thing here there's a line you don't cross and while I like making fun of you know what Florida coaches over the years or this, that and the other I mean there is something really unbecoming about a radio host someone who should be a full-fledged adult now I guess Bennett's 25 so he's not quite the uh, typical college kid but nonetheless you know the idea that the radio host on what should be a you know a platform that you you know uh, you know, try to do the best you can with that. If he's calling Bennett a a punk is to me, that's just lower it's classless. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, Eric Ainge isn't worth our time all that much. But as I said before, this is a true demonstration of all that's left at one point in time, you know, maybe there are people out there trying to make their case against Bennett, maybe predicting failure for Bennett. And over the course of time, all of those ideas, all of those critics have just been vanquished. They've just been stepped on. They've been pushed aside. They've been moved away. And now the only thing left to do is what Eric Angel Ainge is doing. I'm just rooting against him. I, I can't predict failure for him anymore. I can't uh, describe ineptitude around him. That's not going to work either. All that's left for me now is just to root against him. Uh, essentially, all I am is truly a hater in the absolute haterist sense. And then I'm going to be tuning in on Monday night Uh, in my sort of inconsequential world, and just hoping for failure for him as a way of maybe making myself feel better if I'm Eric Ainge, that is literally all that's left. So the only moment of your time that Eric Ainge is worth is to sort of stop and appreciate that. That the tiniest fragment and sliver of what the Stetson Bennett hater has, what the Georgia hater has, the tiniest fragment and sliver of that left at all is simply to admit, well, I can't say he's not good anymore. Now all I can do is root against him, which is all you were really ever doing to begin with. And I do think that part of this is kind of instructive. Now, we would ask the question, well, how do we get here? How do we get to the point where the only thing left for people to do is to say, well, I think that Bennett's a punk. You know, maybe he's done this and you cite the credentials. Maybe he's done that. But Bennett's just a punk. Like, how do we get here to the point where that's all the Stetson Bennett hater still has? Well, I would say it's the late game heroics that were kind of put on display against Ohio State. That's the thing that has backed these folks into a corner here so much to the point where they really have nothing left to do but admit that they are a hater and admit that they've been kind of trampled on as Bennett has marched towards the uh, success that he's been able to enjoy. And when I think back on that moment against Ohio State, I mean, the thing that I keep kind of coming back to is, is this in many ways, not just for Stetson Bennett, but the Georgia offense overall the one led by Todd Munkin since 2020, but in a lot of ways also the one led by Kirby Smart because he is the head coach of the team since Smart got the job in 2016 and sort of first got Georgia really humming and rolling in 2017. In a lot of ways, this was the final frontier. I mean, how many times do we hear, even if it's more dignified and more respectable people than Eric Ainge, how many times have we heard these voices over the years say, can Georgia win a shootout? Can Georgia go toe-to-toe with a great offense? You know, can, 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 can Georgia get in there in one of these you know, games in which the other side's going to score 40 and can it find a way to get there itself? Can, can Stetson Bennett lead the last final drive in a game like this to give Georgia a chance to do that? And ultimately on Saturday, that is what Stetson Bennett did. It was the final frontier for him. It was sort of the last kind of win that maybe he hadn't gotten. But also for Georgia, it was also maybe the last kind of win they hadn't collected. We had seen Georgia obviously shut down big offenses. That's what they did last year in the national championship game. That's what they did this year against Tennessee. We had seen, you know, other kinds of games as well where just sort of Georgia kind of was able to assert itself the way that would have against, say, Michigan last year in the Orange Bowl. But this game where the opponent had the success, where Ohio State got the style of play they wanted, we hadn't really seen Georgia win that kind of game yet. But now you've seen that, too, when Stetson Bennett was a big part of what brought that home there for the Dogs. And I thought yesterday, Kirby Smart had a very interesting way of, of, of talking about those late-game heroics for Stetson Bennett. Now, quick aside here there was a conference call yesterday. Y'all, this is not a press conference. This is not fancy TV studio with you know gleaming lights and glittering cameras. Oh, I guess cameras don't glitter, but you get the point I'm saying. This is not like fancy studio conditions. This is like a telephone. This is like one of those deals where like the, the, the call you maybe have at work here. So I'm going to tell you this is not great audio quality, but I'm also going to tell you it's better than nothing. This is Kirby from yesterday on what he saw from Stetson Bennett. and and the very calm and measured way in which he led Georgia to victory in part in that game on Saturday night. Here's Kirby from yesterday on Stetson.
0: I think it's his mental disposition. I think he, uh, uh, he, he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't think of the moment any different, uh, than, you know, the first quarter from the fourth quarter. He doesn't feel that. He, he is a processor. He is a deep thinker. He, um, just goes through the process of what he's going to do and doesn't let it, let it affect him. He's never real, real high, never real, real low, um, which I think is a great trait for a quarterback, and um, I think that helps him in the fourth quarter to be able to go execute. He had a lot of confidence. Um, I think his coaching staff does a great job preparing him um, to be in those moments.
2: So I don't think there's any doubt that moving forward, Stetson Bennett will be considered and should be considered a historic figure. Now, we may take some time over the course of the following months once the season's done, Try to define specifically what that historic status is. Is he, for instance, the 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 greatest quarterback in Georgia history? Is he, you know, on a par with like say uh, our Herschel Walker in terms of significance for the program? You know, there may be different ways in which this is debated, and the ultimate definition of Bennett's historic status may be yet to truly be defined, but eventually it will be, and we'll kind of get there. But at the very least, it's obvious that's a conversation that should be had and it will be had because that's how good Stetson Bennett has been in the games that have mattered most for Georgia these last couple of seasons. But to very quickly shift the gears to a slightly different side of the same conversation before we wrap up here, that does not mean that on Monday night, I think the game for Georgia against TCU will be or should be some sort of referendum on Bennett. That has never really been what Georgia football has been all about. And after Bennett had the week of being a Heisman finalist, where obviously he had all the you know the Tennessee folks saying what they were saying and other folks saying what they were saying, that his status as a Heisman finalist was such a debated topic, we said even then, going into the Ohio State game, that we don't want this to be some sort of proof one way or another. If Georgia wins, that means that Bennett should have been the Heisman winner. Or if Georgia loses, that means he shouldn't be a Heisman finalist at all. We never wanted the Ohio State game to be that kind of referendum on Bennett, not because we didn't think Bennett could play well, uh, but just because that's just not the way that Georgia's built. Georgia is just a less quarterback-dependent team than any of the other teams that are in the college football playoff and most of the college football playoff teams of of recent years. The typical great college football team is just seemingly way more quarterback-dependent than Georgia is. I would say the TCU is a little bit more quarterback-dependent than what Georgia has been. Max Duggan's a really good quarterback, and I would say that TCU sort of needs Duggan To a degree, maybe more so than than Georgia needs Bennett. So the ultimate bottom line here is, is that it has been very enjoyable for me to watch Bennett over the course of years, over the course of this season, vanquish his critics and go out there and and uh, and 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 basically let the world know that he's way better than the worst of the worst have said he is over the course of, of all this time. It's been fun to watch him vanquish those critics. But as you move ahead towards TCU on Monday night, it's still not the referendum on Bennett. This game is still about so much more than him. And if Georgia does everything that it's supposed to, everything that it can do, and then when the game's over, we won't be talking about just Bennett. We'll be talking about an offensive line that I believe is the very best in the country because after all, Bennett's still the only quarterback in the nation to be sacked fewer than 10 times. We'll be talking about the wide receiver core that stepped up in in such a big way, much like they did on Saturday night against Ohio State we'll be talking about a Georgia defense that you know is chomping at the bit to come back and show they are better than what they look like against Ohio State. If, If the Georgia game goes well on Saturday, we'll be talking about all of those things. Yes, Bennett is good. Bennett is better than his critics have ever said that he was. But he's not the only thing on this Georgia team that's good and championship worthy. And on Monday night, all of those facets of the dogs should be on display. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda past Management. We're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Uh, of course, dognation.com at 945. Uh, on our Dog Nation homepage, Dog Nation app there as well for our first and 15. Happy to have you there for that. Radio, podcast, all those things there as well. Just happy to have you with us for what we do here today. And, of course, a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pass Management for making that all possible. You know, they're the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics, and that's an important thing because the resources and the strength that our friends at Breda Pass Management have, they can put that to work for you to – really benefit you in a way that we're all looking for when it comes this brand new year. Everything's so expensive. Inflation has been an issue. It seems like everything that we have costs more now than it used to. And your current termite provider is very likely very much the same way unless you're working with Breda Pass Management. You may have one of these like fly by night companies or something like that. They sent you the letter in the mail that the cost is going to go up. It's about to be more expensive. And well, at Breda Pass Management, that's not going to happen. When you make the switch to Breda, you're going to save money instantly just for doing that and the reason why they're able to provide that for you is because of the strength the resources they have as an organization they've been in business since the 1970s they've got more than 100 employees working hard for you as i said before they are the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. They are the uh, one that you can turn to. And when you do turn to them, uh, you're going to save money instantly just for making that switch. So make sure you find them online, BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. The one you turn to for all of your pest control needs. Uh, The one that's been with us here for Dog Nation for quite a while. You know Matt Braden and the entire team over there having a great time uh, getting ready for the national championship coming up on monday and we appreciate their support here on dog nation daily there as well so find them online dot that's b-r-e-d-a dot for more on that all right we're gonna get mike griffith here coming up in a moment noticing a little bit of an itty, uh, issue on video is this just on dog nation.com or is this all videos right now okay so it all should be fixed now is that so do people need to refresh or do anything like that so if you're having an issue at dog nation.com and um Go ahead and refresh. That should be cleared up, taken away. I was watching the show here on my screen and saw it, something happened there. So that should be cleared up and, and, uh, and, and, and fixed now. So hopefully everybody's all good and back to normal there on that. Uh, so, so hopefully that's good and we're kind of ready to go there on that. We'll also be ready to go and get Mike Griffith here coming up in just a couple of minutes there as well. i lot to talk to Mike about as we get ready for this national championship coming up on Monday. We're looking forward to that. Before that, though, I'm going to go around the doghouse. And I mentioned before, there was a little bit of a teleconference thing yesterday. And sometimes in situations like this, especially when you're kind of talking to, you know, some reporters who maybe are kind of outside our normal bubble. Obviously, Georgia and TCU don't travel in the same space very much. Uh, You know, TCU being from the Big 12. And by the way, I guess I thought about this. If Georgia were to be, this is an aside, we'll get back to the topic in a moment. But if Georgia were to be TCU on Monday, that would give Georgia a win over Georgia Tech from the ACC. Ohio State from the Big Ten, Oregon from the Pac-12, TCU from the Big 12, and obviously all the SEC teams. I wonder how many teams in college football history have beaten a team from all five Power Five conferences in the same year. Maybe it's happened a lot, but it seems like it wouldn't have happened too much. Uh, but nonetheless, that's George's chance to get its win over the fifth Power Five conference on Monday, if they're able to beat TC, which I thought was kind of interesting. But anyway, back to the topic at hand. Sometimes in these press conference situations, I find the questions to be as interesting as the answer. The way in which people are asking the question kind of gives you an idea of the atmosphere around the game, the mood around the game. And there was a moment like that when a reporter from out in Texas asked Kirby Smart a question yesterday. And the gist of the question is the fact that TCU and Georgia have very different kinds of roster construction, which is sort of a fancy PC way of saying Georgia has a lot more measurable talent than TCU does. Now, if you're writing for a TCU audience, here's the thing your audience hopes, that the huge level of former four and five star recruits that Georgia has isn't as big and overwhelming an advantage for the dogs as it might appear to be on paper that somehow some way the TCU can still stand toe to toe with Georgia in this spot despite the fact they don't quite have the same level of roster strength the same level of measurable talent that Georgia does and if you listen to the question here and it's not a bad question but if you listen to the question here that's definitely the gist and the theme of all this asked to Kirby yesterday so let me let you hear this and Kirby's answer, I think it sets up a pretty interesting conversation for us here around the doghouse. Take a listen to this right now.
0: Kirby, as you look at the, um, uh, the rosters of the two teams, they've been built a lot differently. Uh, I mean, you've got blue chip after blue chip recruiting classes. TCU has some kids who maybe had very limited offers. I guess as you look at their, their talent and their roster, what, what, what stands out to you about that? And, and are there different ways, I guess, to build a better mousetrap in terms of recruiting? Yeah, I don't, you know, I never look at it through the perspective of uh, a lot of people look at it as it's all about, you know, what your kids were rated when they came in. I mean, Coach um, Dykes inherited a lot of those players and uh, got some, you know, through the Portland things, but he, he, you got what you got, and what you what you do with what you have is what makes you a coach, and um, he's done a tremendous job with the players that he has and is inherited and uh, I feel like we've done the same with the ones we've gone out and recruited so uh, I, I never get too caught up in how it was built It's kind of like okay you gave me my, my mold and now I've got to try to go make something out of it and you do the best job you can uh, with, what, with what you got and um, that's what you focus on you know so at the end of the day everybody gets into all those ratings and all those things uh, over and over again it's about the chemistry of a team. And, and I would venture to say that these two teams
2: probably have some of the best chemistry across the country. So I'm not sure how interesting Kirby Smart's answer is there, but as I said before, I think the question is really interesting because the gist of the question is, hey, TCU and Georgia are built very different ways. And, and what the, the the reporter doesn't ask, but what I think kind of means is there, can TCU be just as good as Georgia even though they don't quite have the same mechanism of acquiring talent that Georgia does? And that really is the big question hanging over all of college football right now. Now, I'm going to tell you that if TCU were to beat Georgia on Monday, it's not like it's the biggest upset in the history of college football. It's not. It would be a sizable upset, a a bigger upset than we typically have in the college football playoff. Uh, And TCU already beating Michigan was a pretty big upset by college football playoff standards. Beating Georgia would be a, a huge upset, a very big upset, but not the biggest of all time. But what the college football world hopes is is that what the reporter asks actually is true, that, yeah, TCU may not have access to the four- and five-star players like Georgia does, but they can still be just as good of a team. They can still be just as, as as successful as Georgia, even though they don't have quite the same access to talent. And Kirby Smart obviously pays lip service to the idea in the way that he answers it, saying, hey, it kind of comes down to team chemistry and all of this and blah, 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 blah. But while there is a degree to what Kirby says there that's probably true, the larger overall picture just isn't true, and deep down Kirby knows that, but he's not going to say that. Deep down, we sort of all know this, but you know, you know, t- depending on you know what your vantage point is, you may not be willing to admit this out loud or, or or not. Is that Georgia just goes into Monday night with a huge talent advantage, and not only is that likely to matter, it should matter. That the job of Georgia on Monday is to put the full weight of all of its talent on display. This is a very different kind of game than Ohio State is. I think a lot of us going to the game against the Buckeyes would have said. Of all the teams that Georgia could play, Ohio State is likely to be the most dangerous. Whether they lost their last game to Michigan or not, they're likely to be the most dangerous because when it comes to a talent acquisition standpoint recruiting battles and future NFL stars and all the ways in which that's measured, Ohio State is one of the few teams in the country that actually looks a little bit like Georgia. It's one of the few teams that on paper seemed capable of giving Georgia a fair fight. And by comparison, as good as TCU has been, and this is not me trying to take a jab or, you know, be smart aleck or whatever else, but as good as TCU has been on paper, it does not by appearances look like TCU ought to be able to give George a fair fight. So the job of George is to leverage that talent. You utilize that talent and come out and really make it be known from the word go that you're going to have a hard time keeping up with Georgia. And I'm going to give you one example of how this showed up on Saturday night against uh, Ohio State. Think about one of the big storylines from that game. What did we see play out? We saw Ladd McConkie try to play. He had a heroic moment for Georgia when he converted the two-point uh, play that cut the lead to three that ultimately allowed Georgia to eventually take the lead there in that game. We saw McConkie be very good for Georgia but we would also say we saw Ladd McConkey not be fully healthy. And maybe going into that game, we were left to wonder, well, you know, how much can Ladd McConkey even play at all? Maybe the Georgia coaching staff itself was wondering, how much can Ladd McConkie be able to play at all? To give you an idea of just how different a team like Georgia is from a team like TCU, what did Georgia have standing at the ready if Ladd McConkey couldn't be couldn't be a full contributor? He probably probably wasn't a full contributor. What did Georgia have ready to stand in his place? It was a guy like Arian Smith, a former top 100 recruit, a former top 10 wide receiver, who had one of the most thrilling plays of the season for Georgia, and Smith found himself in an expanded role because Ladd McConkey wasn't able to be the guy against Ohio State that he had been all season long. In fact, yesterday Kirby kind of talked about that emergence for, for Arian Smith at a time in which Ladd McConkie could not be fully depended on. This is the level of talent that Georgia has, and this is Kirby from yesterday.
0: He really just got more opportunity to do what he's been doing. I wouldn't call it a redefined role. It would be an opportunity because of um, Lad's, you know, injury, and, and, and we didn't know how long or how hard Lad would be able to go. Um, Lad felt good, looked good in warm-ups, and was able to go and play, and, and we're hoping he's going to be even better uh, this week. But um, we had to have somebody ready, and, and you can imagine over 28 days of preparation, there's a lot of days that Arian was Repping and doing things um, because Lab wasn't able to. And as we got closer and closer to the game, Lab was doing more and more. So it was a balance between the two, and you know we we, we, had, we had a musical chairs, and most people do because people have injuries at the wide receiver positions. But between AD Marcus, I mean, there's been a lot there, and I think B Mac and Coach Munkin have done a tremendous job of of uh, slicing and dicing those roles.
2: So once again, that's teleconference audio, not the best, but you get the gist of what Kirby Smart's trying to say there, that the injury to Ladd McConkie was a very serious problem for Georgia. But the emergence of a guy like Arian Smith, being able to insert him into the game, was the kind of solution to that problem that very few programs are just ever going to be able to have, that most teams would not have a player of Smith's caliber ready to give an expanded role to with a guy like Lad McConkey being injured. That's the way in which the Georgia roster is built. It's just deeper at almost every level, including the wide receiver position, by the way we're talking about now, which is arguably the most maligned position group on the uh, Bulldogs. And yet even that has the kind of obscene talent that most programs can only dream about having. So when the guy from Texas asked Kirby Smart, hey, is there just maybe a better way to build a mousetrap where, you know, you guys are collecting all this talent, TCU's doing something a little bit different, but hey, it sort of works for both teams. Look, that's the kind of luck that runs out eventually, and Georgia fans hope that's the case there on Monday, that the obvious more talented team can also display itself to be obviously the better team. Now, to TCU's credit, they've been overcoming this against more talented teams all year long. That's what Oklahoma probably was. TCU still won that game. I would say that's definitely what Texas was. Texas was a seven-point favorite against TCU there that day, and the uh, Horned Frogs still found a way to pull that out. But there is a difference between these two rosters. On Monday night, Georgia's job, its challenge, is to make that difference apparent and remove any hope that TCU might have as quickly as possible when this game begins. That is Around the Doghouse, and this is Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management here today. Uh, obviously, preparation's continuing for these dogs as you head towards the national championship. So what do you say we keep that conversation going there as well? A guy who's been covering it all, all from Athens is our buddy Mike Griffith. He joins us now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever
1: the recruiting trail may lead, here's a dognation.com insider. Let's
2: well, say hello to Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Brady Pest Managed. Always glad to have him with us. And, you know, Mike, I think the one caveat that I've given to a lot of our conversation already this week about TCU is you get ready for that national championship is there's a certain ignorance I have to plead here because, you know, I love making picks. I think it's fun to do. I don't take my picks too seriously. I just think it's fun to try to make picks and decide who's going to win these games on, on on College Ball weekend. And very frequently here this year, man, I've really gotten it wrong with TCU. I, I kept expecting their luck to run out. I'm a believer that you, know, you can't live on the razor's edge for as long as they have. They're six and one and one score games. That's not really Uh, a renewable resource in college football it would seem and yet sort of somehow TCU's found a way to keep doing that so part of this week for me and I'm getting to a question here I promise part of this week for me has been trying to figure out what it is that I might have gotten so wrong on the Horn Frogs all year long how good of a handle do you think you have on TCU here right now
1: well I mean they're a well coached team Uh, they got a lot of talent they they do some things that you know that uh, a little bit different they can catch some teams off guard Uh, they've got a couple of players uh you know that they can put in position to make plays but you know i kind of think it was as much about michigan just to be honest with you i think jim harbaugh made one of the probably one of the worst play calls uh in college football history with a razzle dazzle play from the two-yard line at a time when you know he could have really sent a message i mean that's the joe moore award offensive line right all we've heard about is how great the michigan offensive line is and and on fourth and two, instead of trusting those guys, uh, he sends the absolute wrong message. He runs a play that blows up, that gives TCU great confidence, uh, that probably makes the Michigan players question themselves. I, I, thought, I really thought the game spun there, Brandon, and it, it gave TCU life that they needed a fourth down stop at the two on the opening drive in confidence and confidence. And then there was a, a pick six. You know, they were able to do some things. Uh, you know, out of that three-three-five. here's the good news. Georgia has a much better coaching staff than Michigan from head coach on down. Much, much better coaching staff, uh, better talent than Michigan, and they're not going to give TCU that sort of life. Um, I feel like TCU's kind of had their moment, uh, you know, an emotional 51-45, you know, win, whereas I think Georgia psychologically, uh, look, they, they didn't play well. Stetson Bennett didn't play well for 30 minutes, according to him. And according to the stat sheet, through three quarters, and Kirby Smart let him know it. The defense has given up over a thousand yards in the last two games. Believe me, they know that. Uh, this is going to be a Georgia team that's upset with something to prove. And yeah, they celebrated on the field, but you know, sources—plenty of sources—have told me that you know there was there was a bit of a tongue lashing in the locker room. I mean, Kirby Smart let him—that wasn't Georgia football. We saw Georgia beat an incredibly uh, motivated talented ohio state team with a franchise nfl quarterback when they didn't play their best game and the dogs know it and now that they've survived it brandon i think they go out there to la just loaded for bear and i really expect georgia to win this game decisively
2: yeah i mean the way i would kind of say that is is that Almost any championship season involves some element of luck. And when you're in kind of one of these wild, you know, almost 90 total points scored things, there, you're going to have all kinds of crazy things happening. And if you can emerge from that, admittedly, some of that was sort of self inflicted by Georgia. They didn't play certainly nearly as well defensively as they could have. That, you know, if you do create that scenario for yourself, find a way to get through that, then maybe you can relax now and go back and be George. And I, I say that. With respect for TCU, I mean, I do believe that TCU, if it plays at its absolute best, could be a challenge for UGA. And if somehow TCU were to win this game, something I don't believe they will do, but if they did win it, it's by no means the greatest upset in the history of college football or anything like that. We've seen you know bigger upsets than that in, in the past, but maybe it is now a chance getting past the sort of crazy game against Ohio State, kind of go back to, to being Georgia and, and 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 really leaning on, leveraging, as I said before you joined us, the overwhelming talent advantage that Georgia appears to have on paper. It's the job of this Georgia team, these Georgia coaches, to make that talent apparent from the word go there on Monday night.
1: Well, I mean, a few things. Um, a lot to unpack there And what you just said. Um, technically, it would be the biggest upset since the unified championship in 1998. The 14-point spread is the biggest in a championship game. I, I, that doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm just, like I said, I'm ultra-confident. I I can't tell you the last time I was this confident in a a Georgia game on this big of a stage. Um, So I'm not that, that that whole potential upset thing, I don't think that's in anybody's head in the locker room. Georgia's not going to go out there afraid to lose. Uh, You know, and and Georgia, you know, as much as it was the defense, it was the offense. I mean, they weren't nearly as efficient. One of the great things about Georgia football, uh, I think, under Todd Munkin with this offense is the efficiency. When you look at the red zone, uh, efficiency. Now Kirby's talked about wanting more touchdowns instead of field goals, and that reared its head a lot. But the mistakes Georgia made were big. I mean, Stet's interception at the 30—that's in their territory. That you know, that's the sixth time in the last seven games that a Georgia turnover has led to points. You know, the, the lateral at the three moves it back to the 13. You, you go from probably seven to three. Um, taking a sack at the 30 takes you out of field goal range. Todd Leslie missed another field goal. I mean, that's 17 points that the Georgia offense, you know, 17-point swing from the Georgia offense. So, And as far as the luck goes, Georgia makes their own luck. And, and I know there's some people upset about Javon Bullard's hit in the end zone, but that was a football play. There was nothing dirty about it. Even Marvin Harrison said it was a football hit. Um, I know Ohio State fans are trying to make that something. It wasn't. It, it, it was what it was. It was a Kirby smart defensive back you know putting the pads on a guy that was catching a football and unfortunately for Ohio State Harrison wasn't able to come back in the game and that was a factor he was they couldn't stop him Ohio State was running away with it it was 38-24 you were sitting right next to me I was already working on my game story you know I, I knew how you know but that play changed the game because after that C.J. Stroud only threw for 28 yards and Stetson Bennett went from one of four and 17 yards in the third quarter to throwing for 190 yards in the fourth quarter. So that was a momentum-changing play. It was a momentum-changing turnover on the call from targeting to non-targeting. Georgia made the plays uh, that they needed to make to get themselves back in it. As Kirby said, the defense made the stops and held Ohio State to three points in the fourth quarter, that opened the door for the, for the comeback. Uh, the Arian Smith, 76 yards. I mean, Georgia wasn't the only one that made mistakes. You know, Ohio State's going to be wondering how Arian Smith got that open, and, you know, catching 76-yard touchdown. And that was right after Kirby caught the fake punt and called the timeout. You want to talk about a swing in the game. You know, Kirby calling the timeout, I don't know if they would have noticed 12 players or not. Probably not. If Ohio State converts, it's probably over. But that happens, and then 76 yards to Arian happens. And and all of a sudden, I'm writing a different story. So I, I think Georgia made some great plays. I think their poise, I think their connectedness that you hear about, those players were bought in. Nobody was cashing it in, even though at, at times in the third quarter it looked really bad. I mean, Georgia, uh, Georgia's offense didn't do anything. It was terrible. And they gave Ohio State the ball, and Ohio State outscored them 10-0 in the third quarter. You don't see that offense. You don't see Kirby Smart and his staff out-adjusted often. Um, So I I give kudos, though, Brandon, to Ohio State. Uh, I think Ohio State played an unbelievably good football game. I think C.J. Stroud was the best player on the field. He made some amazing throws that nobody else in college football is going to make. Max Duggan is not going to make those throws. I got news for you. He's a a scrappy quarterback, right? But he's not going to make those throws. And they don't have receivers like Ohio State. They don't have an offensive line that's going to be able to neutralize uh, Jalen Carter as well as Ohio State did. They just don't. So I, I like where Georgia sits. Uh, they survived it. It was it was magical. It was memorable. It was historic. And now on to, uh, you know, stepping on the Horned Frogs out in Los Angeles.
2: So you mentioned that about Max Duggan. I mean, obviously he's nowhere near as accomplished a thrower – as C.J. Stroud is, nor does he have anywhere near as bright an NFL future. as It certainly appears that Stroud does, but I do believe he's a better runner. He certainly run more throughout the season than Stroud has, and so when I think about the defensive challenge for Georgia against TCU, that's what I think of. Georgia's a thin and outside linebacker after some injuries during the game, and also just not, I mean, they eventually got to Stroud four times on Saturday, and I don't know that they win the game if they don't find a way to get those four sacks, but They just haven't, over the course of the season, been as effective with the pass rush as they were a year ago. And I do think that sets up a pretty interesting challenge for Georgia defensively on Monday, which is, you know, if you go after Duggan and don't get him, then you do set him up for even more rushing success than what Stroud had on uh, Saturday. I'm sure more people than not were probably surprised how much he did run. Duggan's, I think, clearly going to try to run as much as he possibly can. So if you rush him and don't get him, that creates the opportunity for him. But then, if you sit back and don't rush, well, then all of a sudden, you know, you allow, uh, you know, a TCU offense that has scored po- scored points against almost any almost everybody that's played to maybe sit back and kind of pick some things apart in the passing game. I think it does become a pretty interesting choice in terms of how you go about this for the Georgia defensively, especially given the fact there's some health status situations that outside linebacker that we don't quite have cleared up right now. Yeah,
1: no, there's no doubt. I mean, Georgia's missed Nolan Smith. I mean, nobody's filled his shoes. Nobody's. Nobody's come close. I mean, Chambliss hasn't been him, and Beale hasn't been him, and I don't even know where M.J. Sherman is these days. But they, they haven't found the answer there, to your point. Uh, fortunately, Jalen Carter came back and started playing really well about the time Nolan went out in that Florida game. Uh, but Jalen can't do it alone. You know, you saw how Ohio State was able to scheme and move the pocket effectively and, and double-team Jalen to take him out of it. Um, but, Doug, in to your point, yeah, he likes to run, but but there's going to be some different guys on the other side uh, of the ball. You know, he, He's going to be getting hit by Bullard. He's going to be getting hit by Smell and He's going to be getting hit by Jamon Dumas-Johnson. Georgia brings it at a different level. And, again, this is why I, I, give, I keep heaping so much praise on Ohio State. I mean, Brandon, that was the most game effort I've seen from Ohio State since they beat Miami in uh, 2002 in the Fiesta Bowl. I mean, that was a blue-collar effort from the Buckeyes. And I, and I know that TCU has, has played some tough football. But you, you mentioned a moment yourself in your introduction about how you can't play those kind of games. You know, they, they, it, Their luck did run out. They lost to Kansas State. I mean, what other year would the Big 12 championship game loser have gotten in the college football playoffs? Let's face it, this year was an anomaly. And, and I blame Tennessee for that, by the way, because they beat an Alabama team that, quite frankly, was one of the four best teams in the country. And then they screwed up and got beat themselves by South Carolina, and, and lost their starting quarterback. Any other year, I mean, if Alabama beats Tennessee, where you know who knows what the conversation is right now? I don't even know if TCU gets in. I'm not I'm not sure that TCU gets in over Ohio State if push comes to shove with an Alabama scenario. I don't. It gives me a headache to even think about the politics that would go into that room and the matchups that they would talk about. But TCU is not one of the four best teams in the country. Okay. Michigan did their, you know, choke job. What is it, six bowls in a row that Jim Harbaugh's lost? Can't get out of his own way. Um, you know, they'd be fortunate if he did go to the NFL. Somebody else can take that program to the next step. It's not going to be him. So I think that Georgia's got a great matchup. I can't wait to get out into Los Angeles and see you and Jeff and Connor and, and start covering the press conference. Sonny Dykes has done a miraculous job taking a team that was 5-7 and seven last year and, you know, winning 12 games coach of the year in some sanctioning bodies i still think kirby smart should get it because he's 14 and 0 and, and he had historic turnover and he plays in the sec and and tcu is going to get an introduction to sec football brandon and sonny dyke's comments about the sec scheduling um he probably overstepped his bounds he's already retreating and trying to say nice things but that's on the bulletin board and that's going to be, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a pissed-off Georgia football team right now. And they've got something to prove. They're going to go out there, and they're going to play Georgia football uh, against the football team. You know, the, the clock is going to strike 12 on uh, TCU's Cinderella story.
2: It's uh, Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. By the way, quick shout-out. We had a little bit of an issue earlier. Let me give a quick shout-out to our friends at Breda Pest Management. Find them online at BredaPest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com. They're going to save you money when you make the switch to them for your uh, pest control uh, provider, your termite service, the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. Been in business since 1975. 125 employees working hard for you. They're going to put more money in your pocket when you make the switch. Do that today. BredaPest.com. B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest.com for a lot more on that. All right. Right, Mike, uh, before you finish up, talked a little bit about the Peach Bowl already, but you know, this is gonna go on that top shelf of historic Georgia wins and really one of the most thrilling games that most of us, I think, can uh can remember. When you look back and remember the Peach Bowl yourself, what will be the indelible memories in your mind?
1: That you weren't confident even with three seconds left, Brandon. <laughs> when I, you weren't ready for the congratulatory handshake till the clock hit zeros after everything we saw. Um, no, I, I think it's just the wherewithal to see Kirby and the dogs taken to the limit. And quite frankly, what it reminded me of was how Alabama beat Georgia in 2017 and how Alabama beat Georgia in 2018. Georgia outplayed Alabama in both of those games. Georgia had the Crimson Tide right where they wanted it. But you know what? That Nick Saban dynasty and the way those players believed in each other and the way they found answers. Like, who was Tua before, before second and 26, right? Just like, where did Arian Smith come from? You got a guy catching three balls for 127 yards, caught three balls all year? I mean, Georgia has become that program. They have completely supplanted Alabama, a top college football. Kirby Smart is that coach, is that genius that calls that timeout, that ices the kicker, that makes the decision to go for three instead of making it a four-down territory with, what, 10 minutes left in the game, right? Kirby Smart is the guy that's able to win football games, even on nights when his team doesn't execute as well as it normally does. right? So, to me, that's what goes through my mind. Is that george this is this George is here man and 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 again, looking at the schedule next year, Brandon they're going to be even better they're going to be even better uh, you know I, I'm convinced the offense is going to be even more efficient it's going to be more dynamic with with receivers on the outside and and uh you know a very capable quarterback if it's not Beck, I don't know who it'll be. I don't see anybody out there better than him in the portal, who knows who Kirby might get though I'll tell you. I did a spot yesterday. Think about this scenario. I'm going to throw you this, uh, this knuckleball here on the way out. When, when uh, talking with Peter Burns yesterday, he was talking about Caleb Williams, and he said he had a thought go through his mind when Caleb Williams was supposed to go to the press conference after the, the Rose Bowl, and they pulled his nameplate and he didn't go. He said, what if Caleb Williams has decided that he's won a Heisman Trophy at USC and he wants to go somewhere and win a national championship? Well, two thoughts went through my mind. One, Georgia tried to get Caleb Williams last year. And they weren't able to get him. What if it's Caleb Williams coming to Georgia? Two, what if Nick Saban pulls Caleb Williams? I mean, we're in this place now in college football. We didn't have to think this way before. But now there's nothing that's not possible. And I I doubt that. I don't think either one of those scenarios is likely. I think Caleb Williams will stay at USC. I think he's getting paid handsomely. There's probably some contract somewhere. You know, from what I understand, it was in the $4 million range. I understand Georgia was offering over $2 million and USC went four. He was going to USC all along, just leveraged Georgia last year to get the bigger deal. But we're in an era now where we really don't know who's going where. Uh, I, hope, I hope, personally, I want to see Carson Beck or Brock Vandegrift take over this football team. That's what I want to see. Both of those guys have put their time in. I think they're going to duel in the spring. The winner stays. The loser leaves. I think Gunner's here either way, um, but but I, I don't discount anything with Kirby. He's going after the best. He's going to do whatever he's got to do to keep him on top. And my takeaway from the game is when you win a game like that, that that was to me that was absolute validation that this program because they took Ohio State's best man. I give Ryan Day credit. I give C.J. Stroud credit. I give you know Jim Knowles' defense. You know they give up well, some big plays, but you know, what was George? two of ten on third down conversions. They had Stetson's backs for three quarters before he solved him in the fourth quarter. And Georgia still found a way to win. And that was remarkable to me. And and like I said, I can't wait to get out there to Los Angeles and, and enjoy, uh, you know, the buildup to that game. And, and I, hopefully I'll have my game story written by the end of the third quarter.
2: All right, Mike. Uh, good to be here. Glad to have you. And uh, we'll talk to you in Los Angeles. Thanks for being here, Dog Nation Daily, presented by to Past Management here today.
1: Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC through.
2: So my preference would be to actually win this national championship before we start talking about next year's national championship. But I guess we'll see how all of uh, that goes. I'll also say this too about the game against Ohio State. Like the one thing I keep kind of coming back to is, um, you know, in a game like that where it's like forty something to forty something, or at least it's pacing to be, you know, such a high scoring game. I think there's an assumption to say, well, if my team's not in control of this game, then the other team must be. But I'm kind of reminded of uh, what was the Bane line from the Batman movie years ago? Do you feel in charge? Like, Ohio State was obviously up in that game, but did they feel in control? You know, I wonder how, you know, a lot of Georgia fans, I think, assumed that Ohio State had the control of the game because uh, Georgia clearly didn't. But if you're Ohio State, even though you're up, did you feel like you were in control? Did you feel like you had all that going on? And maybe there was a similar kind of question that could have been asked during the SEC Championship as well when Georgia was up three touchdowns late in the game, and yet seemingly LSU was still hanging around and still trying to score points and sort of extending the game and sort of making it a little bit uglier than maybe what some Georgia fans were used to. Georgia had the big lead, but did you feel like you were in control? I mean, ultimately, I think what the Georgia-Ohio State game is a reminder of, as thrilling as the game was and as happy a memory as that should be for uh, Georgia fans you know, forever – Um, I think what it's a reminder of is that there is a reason that Georgia does not try to play these kinds of games a lot. The 50-30 game against LSU, the 42-41 game against Ohio State. Because the honest truth is, even when you're winning, you're not necessarily in control. Georgia was winning against LSU, but it sort of didn't really feel like they had a stranglehold on the game. Ohio State was winning against Georgia, but clearly they couldn't maintain enough control to actually finish the game there on top. That once you start inserting a bunch of possessions, and once the ball's flying around all over the place, and once points are coming fast and furious, all of a sudden then it sort of becomes really up for grabs and anything can happen there late in the game. And clearly Georgia, you know, held on to the mental fortitude to make the final play when it mattered to ultimately win that game but to me that's really a kind of a takeaway from the last couple of games from georgia football these are the kinds of games that almost everybody else in college football is playing on a fairly regular basis and when you see georgia go through both of them even though they were both wins in the case of the lsu game is actually a pretty convincing win at least in the base of the final score it is a little bit of a reminder of why georgia doesn't play like this more frequently because that level of chaos just reduces the amount of control you have over your opponent and georgia i think is a lot happier in games like say michigan Or maybe, you know, last year's Alabama National Championship game where they just sort of have the foot on the throat just a little bit more than that. And maybe that's what we will get a chance to see Georgia showcase as you get ready for TCU coming up on Monday night. Do I believe that Georgia will win? Yes. Do I think it's more likely than not the game is somewhat convincing? Yes. Am I going to let it just sort of play out and then congratulate Georgia after the fact as opposed to trying to get out in front of it and, you know, uh, you know, sort of grandstand about how easy I think it's going to be? Yeah, that's probably the case there as well is the better team, there's a reason for Georgia fans to be confident here, but there's also nothing wrong to sort of save that confidence and bask in it 60 minutes of football later after Georgia finally does get it done, because let's face it, it is a big goal on the other side of this, a chance to go for two in 22 and win that national championship again. Obviously, a lot of us very, very eager to see all of that play out. Let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean right now. And obviously, something else we're excited about here, now that the calendar is 2023, is not just Georgia's national championship, the conclusion of the 2022 season happening on Monday, but also some of the great Royal Caribbean cruise vacations that we have coming up as well. I know my f- entire family is going to be going on a cruise here in February. I'm really excited about that. We're also taking my mom my brother and his family, uh, my wife, my family, uh, on a cruise coming up this June. So we're going to be on Wonder of the Seas for ourselves in February. We're going to be on Independence of the Seas coming up uh, in June, and all of that around the Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. So you better believe a good year for me includes lots of Royal Caribbean cruise vacations. We've got three on the books here for right now. And so you can do the same thing. You can start planning your 2023 travel because, let's face it, you need a vacation. You need to get away. You need to try to find a way to have some fun. And there's, for me, no more fun way to enjoy life than on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. So Jessica Slater is a great travel agent, especially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to handle all of your Royal Caribbean cruise-related needs. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also go to a website she's made, royaldogs.com, that is royaldogs.com. And on that site, you can find out more about the Dog Nation Cruise coming up April 24th through the 28th, going from Port Canaveral to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, okay. Nassau in the Bahamas. Man, that's going to be some great stuff. So you can learn more about that then. All right, quick break from the National Championship talk, and then we will get back into that here in a moment. I'm going to do this relatively quickly. So we are in all-star season. You know, Jeff has been in Orlando. Jeff our recruiting insider, has been in Orlando for the Under Armour All-American game. He is heading out to San Antonio for the All-American Bowl there. These games feel a little bit different than they used to in that a lot of the Georgia early enrollees, who maybe in the past would have left their team to go back to the bowls. Now they've just sort of chosen to stick with uh, UGA through the uh, ride for the national championship. Easy to understand when they might want to. We also have... You know, far more early enrollees just across the board in college football than maybe would have used to have existed. So I think the overall vibe around some of the All Star game stuff is a little bit different, but it still becomes a pretty good snapshot for the small remaining holdovers in the class of 2023. More on that in a moment. But also an early look at the recruiting headlines are going to dominate us for 2024 there as well. So with that in mind, let me show you this here really quickly. This got shared on social media. I don't know this person. His name is Mike Giovando. He's Elevate Quarterback Academy. I'm assuming he must be a trainer of sorts for Dylan Rayola. But interesting to see here that Dylan Rayola, in the photo here with uh, the guy from Elevate Quarterback Academy, is wearing some Georgia gear. I think we can even zoom in on this and show this to you a little closer here. So there is Rayola in the gear. Now, here's what I'm telling you. I believe the most misunderstood false positive when it comes to recruiting oftentimes can be gear i think a lot of times when you see a recruit wearing uh a a, a team's gear i think i think quite often that doesn't really mean anything it just may mean the only thing he had laying around there or the old joke used to be (laughs) if you saw the recruit wearing the gear prior to the commitment announcement—that was one more time of wearing it before he threw it away. That was always kind of the joke of it was actually not a good thing to be wearing the gear right before the commitment because the recruit the the uh, the the legend had it, the urban legend had it that this was just one more time of wearing it before you threw it in the trash to start wearing their, the, your actual team's gear for the uh, rest of time. Whether that was true or not, that's just what people used to say. In the case of Raiola here. Fresh off the decommitment, commitment, is it at least somewhat meaningful that he's wearing UGA gear? I would say that it is. And admittedly, I told you all a few days ago that just given the way in which the Rayola com- uh, recruitment kind of ended the first time when he did commit to Ohio State, I sort of didn't really expect George to actually be that big of a player for Rayola again. I think that Georgia likes Dylan Rayola a lot. I was led to believe they did. Uh, and yet, ultimately, Rayola decided there were things he liked about other places, including Ohio State and Georgia, and I sort of thought that was going to be that. Maybe the presence of this gear here, even though that I've told you that oftentimes gear is not the most reliable indicator of where a recruit may go, maybe the presence of this gear here, Dylan being photographed wearing the Georgia stuff, maybe that does mean something, that maybe Georgia is going to be a player for Rayola now that his recruitment's been back opened up. A lot of you are aware He's got ties in the Nebraska program. We believe that Nebraska has a sizable NIL opportunity. And that may ultimately be what, you know, kind of ends all of this. And maybe, maybe George is just there to provide leverage or something like that I'm I have no idea. I'm just openly speculating, but it's at least worth me showing it to you when a quarterback of Rayola's caliber, I do believe is the best quarterback in the country for the class of 2024. When a guy like that's wearing the Georgia stuff, it's at least worth paying a little bit of attention to. So why don't you be aware of that? And then there's this. I told you Jeff's been traveling around Orlando and going to San Antonio and all of that. And I guess the biggest story to come out of this thus far, and y'all can tell me if there's something else that I'm missing. I really haven't seen Uh, I didn't see the Under Armour game. I I didn't get a chance to watch that. Maybe some of y'all saw some neat stuff from that. I guess the biggest thing for me thus far is is that for one of the few big names left in the class of 2023, Deuce Robinson tied in out of Arizona, it's a major prospect, by the way, I guess Georgia really is in a pretty good spot with Robinson here. Uh, Jeff's got a story up with Robinson at dognation.com where that's kind of indicated you really see a very strong presence here and so once again we've had reason to shout out Todd Hartley for the success that he's had recruiting tight ends and maybe at this point in time he's leveraging that success for more success with future tight ends but after winning with a guy like Oscar Delp a year ago who really cited Brock Bowers as the reason why he wanted to come to Georgia all of a sudden that pipeline seems to still be strong and a guy like Deuce Robbins if you see some of the video of him out there man he is a new breed of tight end this is a level of athleticism that's. That's really hard to match. And this is one of the top prospects in the country, regardless of position. And it sounds like right now, Georgia might be in a pretty good place for Robinson. Read it at dognation.com. Follow the story. And uh, we will see where it goes from here. But can't help but notice that right now. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. All right. I want to go back to Saturday for a moment here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Brain and Pest Management. And I want to talk a little bit about what's being called the greatest timeout that's ever was called. As Georgia spotted the fake punt look from Ohio State, uh, Kirby Smart called the timeout. Should have been negated by 12 players in the field for Ohio State. These officials not capable of doing anything, seemingly, so you can't count on them for anything. Kirby having to step in and save Georgia's bacon there by calling the timeout. And I do think sometimes we have a tendency to want to overstate things. I don't believe this can be overstated. I don't believe Georgia wins that game on Saturday if Kirby doesn't call the timeout. It's one of the reasons why the game for many Georgia fans was so nerve wracking, just in that there were all of these little moments in which Georgia was down but not out, but kinda of hanging by a string and sort of one more big blow might have knocked him out of the game. This is an example of that. It was a uh, it was a chance for Ohio State to hold on to the football and really kind of salt away, you know, maybe any chance that Georgia could have legitimately had of believing In a comeback, and yet Kirby Smart preserved it, called timeout, forced Ohio State to punt, kind of wasting the the fake punt look in the process. It was really a pretty sharp moment there for Kirby Smart. And when he talked about it after the game, there are two things that jumped out at me about what Kirby Smart said. I want to let you hear Kirby, and then I'm going to tell you what I think is sort of interesting about this, which maybe gives us a little bit of an additional window into Kirby. Here is Kirby. Kind of downplaying the moment that everybody else is sort of blowing up, I would say rightly so. Kirby on the fake punt. This is from Saturday night.
0: For me, I saw them lined up in it, and uh, there was that, there's a line that's a special teams line, but I was on the defensive line because we had just come off of a defensive stop. So, um, saw the formation, and uh, apparently they were saying something on the special teams line, but I wasn't on that line. I was on the defensive line and was prepared to call a timeout, which I don't like doing because it costs you possessions when you do that. you got to be prepared. And not burn them.
2: So, it's interesting to me how it is that Kirby just sort of never stops being Kirby. And I think that Kirby is very much Kirby in two specific ways right there. First of all, in this clip, and there was another clip later on, which I'm not going to play for, I don't have time to, where you talk more about this. Kirby kind of goes out of his way to not reveal how it is they became aware of what this was, which I think is kind of interesting, that the trade secrets that Georgia has for how it decides what's happening here. You know, Kirby is always self-aware enough of how his words are going to be perceived that he doesn't really give the store away right there of exactly, you know, what it was that let Georgia know that this was something that was dangerous. Uh, Kirby just kind of protects that secrecy there, and I think that's kind of interesting. But the other more interesting part, and this I think really is pretty instructive, is that Kirby goes out of his way not to give himself any credit for doing it. And I think that's kind of interesting because it plays into something that he talks about a lot when it comes to his own team, that humility is always just a week away, that, that Kirby definitely, as a coach, is just not all that comfortable with praise. And he's always kind of downplaying that. Like, some people made a big deal about some of what Kirby said about Stetson Bennett. And, like, this becomes the thing that the haters can latch on to. Oh, well, Kirby was calling him out. You know, Kirby calls out everybody after a big game, good game. Kirby just does that. He always pivots back to the negativity because he doesn't like the praise. He doesn't want too much praise to take place because whether you want to call it rat poison or not, as Kirby would say it, um humility is just a week away. So not only does Kirby treat his players that way, Kirby treats himself that way there too. So, you know, people like me, blowhards that scream into a microphone, we can call it greatest timeout ever. And we, you know, you know, reporters can write those stories and things like that. But Kirby is certainly not going to bask in the glow of that because he's, he knows that he's going to get back up and coach again on Monday. And whatever we're saying to praise him now, we may be criticizing him coming Monday. And so Kirby just doesn't kind of fall prey into that. So, It's obviously a moment that will live on in Georgia lore forever. But even in the way in which Kirby talks about it, as sort of unusual and kind of distinctive as it was, it's still very much in keeping with the stuff we've come to expect from Kirby Smart. Treating himself the same way that he treats his players, I think that is kind of interesting. A couple of quick shout-outs before we get ready to go here. Obviously, every single week here on Dog Nation, we look forward to Friday and our big finish presented by the finish long Drink. And this week's big finish is going to be even bigger than normal because by the time we get to Friday, we'll be in Los Angeles on our way to L.A., as we've been saying here to go for two and 22 and obviously you better believe way out there out west when the parties are going on the finished long drink going to be flowing there too so if you're going to los angeles and you're taking the finished long drink with you for your tailgate party or your you know game watching party whatever you have going on we want to see you enjoying all of that hit me up on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, and we'll feature you for The Big Finish, presented by The Finish Long Drink, coming up on Friday. You can also go to longdrink.com to find out where you can try some and pick some up if you haven't before, or the different long drink varieties. You can even get one of those eight-can variety packs and try two cans of each of the four long drink varieties. I'm talking about The Long Drink Cranberry, The Long Drink Strong, which is 8.5% alcohol by volume, Long Drink Zero, that's No Carbs, No Sugar, uh the traditional long drink, the blue can, it's got the, the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. You can really, really enjoy all of this. It's the finished long drink. You can find some out on uh, you can find out where you can pick some up, I should say, at the longdrink.com. And then share some of that with us coming up on uh, Friday. We'll show you off as part of our big finish. Also, Georgia kind of sitting somewhere around, what is it, 13 and a half or so against TCU here right now. Uh, plenty of opportunity for you to get your action down on the big game coming up on Monday. And, of course, all the other sporting events that take place after that. In fact, it's one of the best ways to make the time in between the national championship and the next time we see Georgia football again. One of the best ways to make that time go by a little faster to get some action down on upcoming playoff games in the uh, pro football world or whatever else, our friends at MyBookie got you covered on all of that. For Monday's game and then everything else after that, it's winning season at MyBookie. Use the promo code DOGNATION, and you can get the big first deposit bonus when you get signed up there. That means you put in $300, our friends at MyBookie are going to put that money into your account there as well. So you have like $600 in your account before you even place your first bet. They'll do that for you all the way up to 1000 bucks. So find MyBookie online, just type it into your browser. The internet will do the work for you. Then after that, you play, you win, you get paid. And when you use the promo code DOGNATION, you get the big first deposit bonus. So one more time here. Type MyBookie into your browser. Internet will find it for you. When you get to the website, use the promo code DOGNATION. Put the money in your account. uh, MyBookie, up to $1,000, will double that initial deposit. And then after that, you play, you win, you get paid. With our friends at MyBookie, it is just as simple as that. So for our golden shoe today, I'm going to show you something that many of you have already seen, and I have to admit, I don't know the backstory here. So Kenny Zacher shared this with me. He says, check out this reaction. Of course, hashtag go for two and 22, which as you know, will get you to the front of the line for any kind of uh, golden shoe type stuff. And so sports guy Lance shares this, uh, of Jimmy Butler, who is obviously an NBA star, but apparently is a very big Georgia fan. And the video that people have been sharing here of Butler, like he's very big into this Georgia game. He's barking right there like uh, any good Georgia fan would do after the win. And I have to plead ignorance here, and I'm honestly curious for y'all to tell me, why is G- – look at him barking. That's fantastic. Now, we're not going to play in the audio because it's just, you know, we don't have time. But uh, Butler's having a great time here. And, by the way, when you think about LeBron James, an Ohio State fan, taking another L, that makes that fun too. I'd love to know more about why it is that Jimmy Butler is such a big UGA fan. So if you know, tell me. Many of you probably do. I just don't. But we're going to give Jimmy Butler here from the from the NBA a uh, golden shoe because he's clearly having a good time. And by the way, coming up in a few days, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs are going to show LeBron James how to be a winner in Los Angeles. That's something he hasn't figured out a way to do yet, but we're going to show him how to do that coming up on Monday. And then after that, we're going to show those lousy, stinking gators how to keep winning in Jacksville there as well. In fact, we'll do that 297 days from right now. That is our Gatorator countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We will look forward to talking to you then. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast, cool down. We'll take your comments here at dognation.com or on Twitter at dognationdaily. Good time, dog, riding in to say the dogs have hurdled every obstacle to this point. One more to go. Dogs got this. Get it done here, and boy, isn't that an exciting thing about one game away from the true go for two and twenty-two accomplishment? It'll be mission accomplished. We done. It'll be another national championship for these Georgia Bulldogs, and it's hard to imagine that as a reality, but it looms as a very real possibility. Possibility here right now. Good time dog. Absolutely right about that. Also, BDW thirty one eighty four wrote in. On the topic yesterday of Kirby Smart uh, not knowing that game day was at the Rose Bowl yesterday. And so, what BDW says is it was a great response by Coach Kirby. Guarantee he did know where game day was, but he was feigning bewilderment purposefully, uh, showing that he and his team's uh, focused on the task at hand. Yes, Desmond Howard is still (laughs) a hysterical fool, as he says. Uh, Go, dogs. A lot of dog fans don't like uh, Desmond Howard for maybe a number of reasons. Uh, But nonetheless, as far as Kirby feigning, not knowing where game day is, I actually don't know that I agree with that. In this particular case, I really truly don't think Kirby uh, knew where they were. Now, does sometimes Kirby sort of pretend he doesn't know something as a way of not answering a question because he just doesn't want to talk about it? Yeah, of course I would say he probably does that. In this particular instance, though, this may be more true than not, partially because of the fact that Georgia is so locked in on TCU. But here's the other thing, and this is why I think that Reese Davis and them were kind of laughing about this. And this is one of those things that, you know, if you kind of think maybe deeply about, you might agree with me on. I think game day was a little bit worried about these traditional bowl games, normally on New Year's Day, being moved to Monday. They're after the college football playoff. They're displaced from their normal spot because Sunday, New Year's Day, was NFL day. I think they were a little bit worried about kind of getting lost in the shuffle. Now, ultimately, we'll never quite know how true that was or wasn't because, unfortunately, we had the horrible incident that night on the Monday Night Football game, and that's kind of absorbed the entirety of the news cycle since then, as you would certainly understand. So had that not taken place, I don't quite know how these Monday versions of the quote-unquote New Year's Day bowls would have been treated. So I think part of the reason why the ESPN folks were laughing so much at Kirby for what he was saying Is not because who wouldn't know that the Rose Bowl is today. I think the ESPN people kind of quietly were sort of wondering, do people know that the Rose Bowl is today? And if Kirby Smart doesn't know this, who else doesn't know this right now? So I think that was a little bit of a – you ever have a nervous laughter? You know, sometimes when you're a little worried about something, you kind of laugh nervously. I think there may have been a little nervous laugh from the part of some of those ESPN folks because they were just a little bit concerned about the fact that One of their big TV prizes, the game known as the Granddaddy of them all. we do love the Rose Bowl, of course. George was out there in 2017. But the game known as the Granddaddy of them all, this beautiful TV product where you have this great-looking sunset around the San Gabriel Mountains, and everybody's kind of historically just kind of viewed the Rose Bowl as this amazing thing. But on this particular day, it kind of did sort of get lost in the shuffle, I, I, I guess. At least it sort of felt like it did to me. Sounds like it did to Kirby there as well. Sonny Dyke's also a little bit lost about this, too you kind of wonder what those games ultimately how much they did resonate with the public knowing that they were on a different day. Kirby says he didn't know. He may not have been the only one from an ESPN perspective that's pretty unfortunate. All right, so that's our RS Andrews podcast. Cool down y'all find rsandrews.com uh at You find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They will show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the price is promised. You can trust R.S. Andrews on all of that today. Water heater goes out. In many cases, they can replace it for you the same day. If you uh, have an issue with your heating system, let's face it, it's going to be cold again soon. That heating system, maybe somebody's told you it's at the end of its shelf life. They can show you how to get some new life out of that old unit. So uh, go to rsandrews.com for that there as well. Then we'll see you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Braided Pest Management. We'll look forward to talking to you then.